So same rules as last week, if you weren't here last week. If at any point during the service you feel like the Holy Spirit, God is telling you something, putting a thought, a verse, a concept, an idea in your mind, very healthy discipline, write it down, all right? Even if it's just passing, all right? You can pray through it for the rest of the week. You can look to it, okay? But don't get distracted. Don't let the enemy take something from you this morning. Don't let your sinful nature reason your way out of something this morning. If you get a passing thought that you feel like might be God directing you, just write it down this morning as we keep going, okay? Because there's a lot of times... I feel like God's given me, or the person up here, God's given me a message, but God's telling you something that I'm not even aware of. So we're going to do part two of Strongholds this morning, okay? And this one's going to get really practical really quick, so we got to start with a little bit of a uh, story that might be a little embarrassing for me, but it's okay. So uh, me and my wife, we've been married for over 10 years, all right? And at some point in our marriage a few years ago, my wife realized that she wanted to be a farmer, and I was affirmed by the presence of God before all mankind that I did not. And so as a uh, compromise, we now have 40 chickens, 10 ducks, 3 goats, and a dog on one acre. Yeah, that. You want to know what the most annoying one is? The dog. And so we have all these animals, and my wife uh, also is an animal person. Um, I call her a closet animal person, okay, because like... I feel like she wasn't, like, animal crazy, and I didn't pick up on the signs. For example, like, when you watch the Discovery Channel and they show, like, this cute, squishy thing from this country over there, I started to realize that she started to make audible, unintelligible noises. So if something would come on, it'd be like a penguin. She'd be like, oh, okay. So she's an animal person. She very much cares about animals as well. And I remember uh, this incident in particular that happened because I know that, like, you know, when, when, when you're married to somebody or when you're friends or any relationship you have with somebody, the story can apply all, all the way around. Uh, there's a lot of times that they value something you don't value, but you just kind of play the game with them and help them out, even though in the back of your mind you're looking at all the chickens being like, you guys look delicious. All right? And so there was this one time my... Life was getting really busy. Um, it was actually a few months ago, and I can remember Br- Brittany, my wife, asked me, she said, hey, can you do me a favor? And I said, yeah, sure. She goes, I need you to put the animals up and feed them, okay? Because we have, like, a pen they stay in at night, and we have a bigger pen that they come out and they, like, eat grass. I don't, I don't know. They exist. Um, and so I remember I was like, yeah, that's no problem, because she was running around everywhere, and I was running around everywhere. And I remember... In my mind, it was around dinner that night, and we still weren't home, and she was somewhere else. We were, on, we were on opposite ends of the world that day. And so I remember she texted me, hey, how'd it go? Okay, because I, I didn't I didn't quite know the procedure, okay, because they kind of get in this pattern. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, how'd what go? And she goes, the animals, did you get them up okay? And I'm going, oh, no. They're still running around the backyard. They probably set up camp on my porch right now. And so I texted her, and I was like, um, actually, I called her, and I said, uh, and I said this word, okay? And this is a word me and her picked up that both of us say to each other a lot. Honey, I meant to, but I forgot. And so I could hear her on the other end of the phone. She's like, uh, okay, because animals, and we care about animals more than just food, which is beyond my understanding. And so I remember she, she sits there, and she goes, oh, fine, I'll go do it. And I could hear in her voice this level of disappointment. I remember I got home, and I said it again. I said, honey, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I meant to go. She's like, it's fine, but you could tell it's not fine. Okay, like, hey, I need you to do this. And now it kind of threw my day out of whack. 
And I started thinking about that as I was going this week, because my guess is, is if you're married or you have a close friend or brother, sister, or parent, you at times have had that thing happen where you meant to do something, but you didn't, where your desire and your thoughts and your understanding was very clear, but your action didn't follow it up. And I can remember at one point in that conversation, she kind of looked at me and she goes, you know what? You said you meant to, but you didn't. And I said, you're right. I'm sorry. And then we were fine. She's great. She's very gracious, very loving. I got to eat one of the chicken. I'm just kidding. Um, all right. And so we want to look at that in a spiritual context. And, and I got a little rattled this week as I was preparing, okay, because I recognized something very quickly about this two-week series we're doing called Strongholds. Because last week we clarified what a stronghold was. A stronghold is a lie that you are believing and acting on. It's something in your mind, in your heart, that either your sinful nature, the enemy, the world has planted in you that is halting you spiritually, that is disrupting your walk with God and your progress because it's a lie that you believe and act on. So you can sit in this room this morning and you can look around and think you can't be this level of a believer. You can think that God really can't forgive you, and that's a lie. You can look at it from the perspective of addiction, that there's something going on in your life, a sin that you struggle with over and over and over, and you can sit there and in this moment, having come to church a hundred times, having felt that emotion well up, know that you're going to get home this afternoon and you're going to give in again. Well, guess what? That's a lie. Because God has set us free from the penalty of sin and death. And last week, we stayed very cerebral, okay? We stayed all in the mind and the heart and in concept, and we talked about this, what you got to do, and you got to practice as a believer, and I mean practice, do over and over again, learn how to do this, is identify the lies that the enemy, that your sinful nature, that the world throws at you, and replace them with truth. And we set it up this week, okay? We set it up. Last week, if you were here, I told you, I want you to go home, and all week you got to practice this, because you got to come in here with a renewed mind towards these things that have been holding you back for so long. You've got to identify the lie and replace it with truth. But once again, that's very much in thought. And thought is the beginning of action. But today is not going to be complicated. But I know that it's going to be a big ask. Because today we're talking about the application, the action. The what do you do now? We're stepping outside of the mental exercise and into the world of the reality of what it looks like, that this is a lie, and I no longer live this way. And so right off the bat, i got to warn you. Okay, we're going to have to put this in proper perspective, because otherwise you're going to get derailed very quickly, because we've grown up in a worldly thinking area. We want to think about the here and the now. And we're going to look at two passages of Scripture, because I want you to see a pattern. And then we're going to get to the punchline. We're going to get to that step three. And, man, when I say that step three, here's, here's my, my hope. I hope when I say this step three, it's not a hollow phrase. I hope when we go identify the lie, replace it with truth, and boom, we get to it here in a minute. Okay, normally when the pastor comes up here, he wants to drop that on you early so you don't forget. Okay, I don't want to drop that on you so that it's hollow. So that it's just a churchy phrase. So it just has a ring to it. I want you to feel it this morning. And believe it. Because when we get to the practical 
of the step you need to take in your faith, the enemy's going to make up every worldly excuse that is a lie of why you can't. You're not that type of person. They wouldn't understand. I can't talk to them. I can't do that. I don't have time. I wasn't raised that way. Whatever it is. Man, we want to move forward in our faith. We're done with these strongholds. So let's set this third truth up. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. And we're going to look at two stories where Jesus performs what we call a miracle. Okay, where he heals two people. The first one is verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, he being Jesus, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, can you make me clean? And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left. And he charged him to tell no one but to go and show himself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for, for a proof to them. So we read through this and we encounter a ton of stories like this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where somebody is physically not well, mentally not well, okay, they're lame, they're blind, there's some type of demon possession thing going on. We encounter all of these that Jesus encounters and he says something and all of a sudden, boom, they're cured, That's not the story. Understand what's happening here, okay? This man who has leprosy, and let's just clarify and understand what this is, okay? Basically, leprosy was a general term for skin diseases, all right? And in this culture, if you had some type of visual skin disease, you were no longer clean, you were unclean, and the reason you had this disease in the first place was because of your sin, See, that's something that we don't understand in this context because we say all the time that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So we don't understand sometimes when we're talking about this leper who comes in or this guy who's paralyzed we're getting ready to get to in a minute. That the way culture views these people is you deserve it because of something you or your family did. They're not even allowed to walk into, if we're going to contextualize a day, to walk into the church. They can't go to the temple. They can't get into the deeper rooms of the temple. Why? Because they're unclean. They are cast out. So understand, this guy walks up to Jesus, and the first thing he says is somebody who is an outcast, who is going through some really difficult stuff in life. And we don't know how long this is going on. This could be years. This could be decades. And he walks up to Jesus, and the first thing he says is, God, if you will. He says, Lord, if you will. He said, if it's your will. You can make me clean. He does not let his situation dictate his faith. Did you hear me? We don't let our situation dictate our faith. Part two, he's not saying heal me and make me better. That's an aspect of what he's saying because there's a connection between the earthly and the eternal. He says, make me clean. And Jesus says, I will be clean. And then what does Jesus tell him to do? Now go to the temple. And renew your worship as Moses commanded you by bringing a sacrifice for proof to the priest. You know what Jesus' concern here is? This man's eternal well-being. Hear me clearly. He's not looking at the earthly. He's looking at the eternal. He's not looking at the now He's looking at this man, his relationship, and worship for God, and he is clearing the path for this man. 
And see, this is what we got to understand right now if we're going to get to it. If we're going to be able to really carry through on step three here in a minute, the big one, we've got to understand it's not about the earthly. This life is fleeting. Can I just tell you something about every person in Scripture that Jesus healed or brought back from the dead? They died later. Let's just be clear. Lazarus, come forth. Or if you have the King James Version, Lazarus, come forth. It's much more authoritative. Lazarus comes forth. You know what happens to Lazarus later? He dies. This life is temporary. Okay, think about that within the church. You know why we have disaster reliefs and shoeboxes and all these things that we have that we call serving, volunteering, going? We're not trying to make people's earthly lives better only. We're trying to make people's eternal lives better. We're not just trying to be nice. We're trying to love people and introduce them to a Savior that can change not just their life now, but their life for all of eternity. We're not going down to the coast to rebuild houses so that people can sit on their couch and watch football and feel some type of normalcy. We're going down there to show them that God wants to rescue you, not just now, but for all of eternity. It's about the eternal, not just the now. If it's about the now instead of the eternal, then those shoeboxes get real creepy. Because then all of a sudden, as a church, we're sitting here going like, hey, we want the children of the world to have toys that are going to rot and disappear because we got them at the dollar store. Instead, we want missionaries to be able to walk into a village to look in the eyes of a child and go, hey, God loves you and he wants good things for you and open the door to a gospel because we're caring for their people's children. We're not just buying stuff to spread greed and materialism throughout the world. It's about the eternal, not the worldly, not the temporary. So understand, when you see Jesus performing these great acts that we call healings or miracles, there's a lot of times we get hung up on what happened in the earthly and that amazing fact instead of what the big deal is, which is the eternal. Think about your prayer life. Is your relationship with God solely based around you getting on your knees right before bed and asking Him to fix the now? Is it you just hurling up worldly concern prayer requests and ignoring the eternal? Or is it you coming to God saying, Father, your will, shape me, mold me, let everything happen to bring glory to you and show me what I need to do to deal with it. I'm not saying we don't ask God about the earthly things. He cares about those. That's why these things change. That's why he's miraculous. That's why he heals these people. It's because he's giving them imagery into the eternal. That's the essence of going and serving and loving someone with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength that is God so that we can love others. And so right now, before we flip to page two and we get to the punchline, you've got to understand something. 
in your own mind? Because we stopped for a minute. We talked about that theoretical, like, Christian philosophy thing over here that it's about the eternal and it's not about the now. But for you personally right now, you've got to flip the switch. And you've got to know in your mind, before we get to the punchline here in just a minute, which is huge, you've got to go in your own mind, you know what? I'm coming into this with eternity and my relationship with God in mind. Because here's what's about to happen. The enemy's about to start lobbing in the you're too busy. You can't do that. You're not that type of person. You'll never succeed. They won't like you. You're going to fail again. All the earthly lies are coming. But we don't believe lies. We believe the truth, and we act on it. So let's get to it. Next passage, chapter 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. You want to know the definition of how you can perform a miracle? Do everything within your power to help someone understand that God loves them. And within Jesus' power was the power to heal. Verse 18, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. You want just, just a side sermon note, okay? You want a good imagery of what it means to bring someone to Jesus? Look at these guys carrying this guy. First, they have to carry him a long way, maybe possibly even drag him. They get there outside the house, and there's obstacles. There is no window open to get in. And so what do they do? They climb up on some guy's roof, and they start taking it apart. And then somehow they convince this guy, hey, man, we're going to lower you down. And I, this conversation cracks me up in some way because some part I'm sitting there going, like, at what point did he go, guys, don't drop me? And they're like, hey, man, you're paralyzed. I'm sorry, that was dark. But look at, the, look at the resolve these guys have to bring this man before Jesus. And they bring him in, and they lay him right before Jesus. And you can imagine there's this huge moment, because Jesus sees the whole thing, what's going on in verse 20. And when he saw their faith, all of them, all their faith, he said, man, get up and walk. That's not what he said. Wait a minute, isn't that why they brought him here? Time out. It told us earlier he's paralyzed and these guys drug him. They went through all this effort and they brought him here and they put him before Jesus. It's so that he can be earthly healed, right? Nah. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus said, make sure I get this right. Man, in verse 20, your sins are forgiven you. He's still laying there. And Jesus performs a miracle. He takes care of this man's eternity and his temporal issue right here before everybody else. He says, hey, it's okay. Your sins are forgiven. He's still laying there. Because Jesus is concerned about the eternal. He's concerned about What's happening inside this guy with his relationship with God? And this messes with the crowd, okay? Because there's some, verse 21, And the scribes and the Pharisees begin to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies, who can forgive sins but God alone? 
When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? See, remember, in their minds, there's this connection between what happens to you in this life and the bad things you experience and your own sins. So anything bad that happens to somebody, it's because of that. And so Jesus is making the connection for them because he wants the right now to echo the eternal. And so he looks at them. He says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? And then he looks at the guy. Verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been laying on, and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with all, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. See, this man's eternity, this man's earthly experience, they're tied together. And so Jesus looks down and he says so that they would know, so that he would glorify God, so that the whole room would be amazed, so that they would know who God is. And he heals this man physically. He takes care of the earthly for the sake of the eternal. And so when we're talking about strongholds, when we're talking about those things in your life you need to be healed from, those things you no longer need to be paralyzed by, here's the reality. Jesus has already told you, rise, pick up your mat, and walk. Okay, let's put this another way. There's all these things and all these lies that the enemy tells you that he speaks into your mind that we've had to mentally practice the last few weeks of identifying that's a lie and replace it with truth. So what's step three? Why don't you start living like you're healed? You with me? Understand. All those lies, they're lies. If you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and you have a personal relationship with Him, then all this garbage the world and the enemy tries to throw at you, that tells you you can't, that tells me you're going to fail, that tells you you're not welcome, He's already died on the cross and won that battle. Think about it like this. What if Jesus looks down at this guy on the mat and says, rise, pick up your mat, walk, go home, and that guy goes, um, raises his hand even. Excuse me, I'm paralyzed. What if the guy gets up and he walks around the room and it's like this huge emotional experience? He's like, whoa, I can walk. That's cool. And then he lays back down and he goes, hey, I'm still paralyzed. Can you go get me out of here? What if this guy goes home for a couple of weeks and he's walking around and one day he just suddenly, like, like the weight, like the shadow comes back, the lie comes back into his mind that, hey, wait, how are you doing this? How are you walking around like this? And he goes back and he lays down on his bed and then, like, a family or friend come by later and he says, hey, man, what you doing? And he goes, oh, I'm paralyzed. They're like, no, you're not. Dude, you're not. Dude, you're not. You're not held down by sin, doubt, fear, judgment. You have been healed. And it's time to start living like it. We're in dangerous territory right now, okay? Because we talked about the motivation, all right? We've talked about the comprehension. The reality is is that all this stuff, all this darkness that holds you back, it's gone. Sin and death have already been overcome. 
And so when we get to this practical right now that you've identified the lie, you've replaced it with truth, and now you need to act on it. It doesn't get difficult. It's not complicated. I didn't say it was easy. But it's not complicated. And if we have the eternal in mind, it can become easy. So let's look at these strongholds that we've had the last few weeks that we've been talking through. You're sitting in this room and you're going like, I I can't be this level of a Christian, which is not a real thing, but it's kind of the way we look at it, okay? I can't be like like them. I can't be fully fully bought in the way that other people are. That's a lie. Because you're a sinner saved by grace just like everybody else in this room. And you know what? Why don't you start living and acting like you're fully bought in? Well, how do, how do, how do I really like start to take my faith, faith seriously? It's pretty basic. Spend time with God. Find a group of other believers. Get involved in your local church. And begin to pursue God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, just, just newsflash real quick. If I want to get in shape and eat better, okay, it doesn't work if I only do it on days I feel like it. Right? I have to resolve in my heart and my mind that this is something that I want to be, that it's a new way of living that I want to be in. I can't just go on a diet for 30 days and then all of a sudden eat all the pizza in the entire world, which I really want to do. I have to change the way I live. Same thing spiritually. We've identified lies and we've replaced them with the truth. Now it's time to start living like we're healed, to stop laying on the floor, laying on the mat. And so real simply, what do you need to do right now? How do you need to start living like you're healed? You're sitting in this room. You're addicted. You're struggling with that sin. It's coming again. You know you're going to be there this afternoon. You're going to be left alone sometime this week, and the phone or the computer's still going to be there. And in your mind, you've already failed because you've done it a thousand other times. And so the enemy's telling you right now, you're going to fail. What's the point? That's a lie. Get out of here. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I'm no longer a slave to sin. And yes, I know I've formed some like neural pathways and patterns in my life that I'm going to have to fight against and I'm going to have to get rid of. But you know what? I'm going to live like somebody who was addicted. And I'm going to find somebody who can hold me accountable. I'm going to dive into God's Word and I'm going to have somebody that I have to answer to every day. Because I'm going to live like somebody who is fighting and victorious over addiction and sin. I didn't say temptation would go away. But you've already been healed. This side of eternity, we're going to all have to deal with temptation, so let's stop pretending like we don't. What about those of you that are struggling with loneliness? You feel like you're on an island all by yourself as a believer. You believe the lie that there's nobody you can connect to, and you've tried before. You've been in a group, you've joined a class, you've done this, you've done that, and so you're just sitting here going like, well, that can't be it because I've tried it. It's not going to work. Well, that's a lie. You want to know why? Because God did not intend for you to walk this Christian life alone, and you're literally sitting in a room with hundreds of other believers, and we had two other services full of hundreds of other believers this morning that all occupied this same local church and are here to walk through life together. The practical of what that looks like is you find a group. If that doesn't work, you find another one. You find a class. You keep trying again and again. Relationships are not easy, but they are so worth it. We talked about that one last week. The lie the enemy wants you to believe 
Is it because it hasn't worked in the past because you haven't found those people that you're going to be friends with? Okay, just clarify, okay? Church expectation. If your church is larger than five people, you can't be best friends with everybody. Once you get to ten, you're looking at seasonal friendships. And maybe out of that, you might have one person that, you know what, looking back on it on my deathbed, that was my guy. And so let's just acknowledge right out of the gate, we're going to go through seasons where we're closer to these people than we are to those people, and that's okay. You're not going to know everybody's name in the room, okay? I'm a name memorization failure. I only know about four right now, and most of them are family. So you've got to hear me to get those lies out of there that you're not going to connect to this local body of believers. That you're not going to find somebody just because you're going to walk into a class or sit in a group and it's not going to work for a season. It's time to stop living a lie and start living the truth. Get up off the mat and act like you're healed. Do you think for this guy when he got home it was easy? Like, see, that's just it. We get these little blips, okay? So think about the guy who's paralyzed. Let's say he's been paralyzed for the majority of his life. Let's say he was born this way. You know what that means he's never done? He's never apprenticed. He never has had any type of education. He's never had to fix a meal. You know what? He might not be sure how to go to the bathroom. And he's got to go home and figure out how to do all this. And do you think anybody's going to have sympathy on him after the woo of that whole fix is gone? No, eventually, about a month from now, all those guys that lowered him through the roof were like, hey, man, you can walk. Why are you asking me for help to do this? Man, can, can you help me move this? That's not very heavy. He's like, man, I've never used my leg muscles before. He's going to be the oldest apprentice on the block trying to figure out a job. I'm not saying it's easy in an earthly sense. But, man, let me tell you something. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And by comparison, when we look back and have seen ourselves grow and what the changes God has made in our lives and the lives of others, it trumps the difficulty you're going to be facing now. So stop living like you're still paralyzed by sin and a stronghold and an idea and a concept. And start living like you're healed Start living like you're forgiven for your sins and you're no longer a slave to them. Start living like you can forgive others the way God has forgiven you. That means you need to have a conversation. And that's it this morning. I can't guess them all. I told you this last week. This is the Holy Spirit at work in you. A lot of you probably already walked in here this morning going, oh no, it's that again. And I'm not talking about that guy talking instead of Michael. I'm talking about that same sin, that same struggle, that same act of obedience, that same step, that same move that you need to make, but you've been holding out. And, man, you can sit over here all day and have those wonderful thought-provoking conversations on the complexity and the, the idea of it, and the, this is what we should be doing, and we can have these conversations about how what people do in Christian culture. What do you need to do? How do you need to start living like you've been healed, rescued, saved, like this stronghold is no longer 
true. And don't let the enemy right now tell you you can't do it. You can. Do you know why you can? Because he's already won. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not watching our favorite team play wondering if they're going to win. In very earthly comparison, it's like watching the greatest game ever played where your team wins and you're just watching the highlights knowing we've already won. There's not drama to it. There is victory in it. We have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And so I don't know what God's telling you right now. But here's what I do know. My guess is is there's something really easy and really practical and really common that you hear pastors say all the time. Maybe you need to be more diligent in spending time with God each day. I'll go ahead and tell you, we got two great groups of people, every man a warrior cultivating holy beauty. And some of you have probably heard that and you've got a stronghold in, your head, stronghold in your head against it. You have a perception of what it is. I'm just going to give you a heads up. Here's what it is. It escorts you into the throne room of God and teaches you the practices, the biblical practices that are true for all time and all eternity, and it's going to make you uncomfortable in a real good way. But some of us got to take that step and quit playing games. Because, hear me, I know you got the lies being lobbed at you right now why you can't. I know you do. Because as I'm sitting up here talking and I'm sorting these through my own head and like God and the enemy sitting here convicting me of like, hey, Matt, you don't even apply this stuff, you sinner. I'm having to answer back with truth and think in my own brain of how am I going to live this out as soon as we're done here. And I won't have to go talk to somebody. And that's one of the biggest things I can recommend to you, okay? Our invitation team is going to be down front right here. Man, if you know what that action is and you've known for a while or you just phone now, just, just tell one of them. Let them pray with you. Let them know that somebody's praying for you this week. I had a lady come to me after the service. And she said, I just want to let you know, God's been really working with me. She said, because I used to be addicted. I told her, I said, look, I'm going to pray with you right now. And I need you to know something. The lies are coming. And you need to know I'm praying for you this week. You need the holy God that's already won this is on your side this week. So what do you need to do? The band's going to come back up. Invitation team's going to be down front. And during this time... Talk to God, but I'll strongly encourage you, if you have another thing you've written down, you've got another lie that's popped up, you got another truth you've realized, or you have an action you need to take to start living like you're healed so you can get up off the ground and no longer be a victim of false strongholds, just tell them. Lean over to your spouse and just tell them. Find somebody in the room and talk to them. Text somebody just like we did last week. Don't leave here this morning with it still sitting there. I'm going to pray this morning, so let's pray.